0: Hi and welcome to the Delicious Ella podcast with me, Ella Mills. So I am very happy to say that I'm currently on holiday for a week. We have escaped for a week to recharge. We're in Italy and we are celebrating Sky, our daughter's first birthday. She turned one yesterday on the 27th and it has been... Quite an unbelievable year. Didn't really think we'd be celebrating her first birthday in a pandemic, but but things happen. Um, or that she'd be expecting a little sister so soon. But we are, yeah, we're so happy and enjoying a bit of time away. The other piece of news is that my co-host Matt has officially left the podcast. I promise we are all good still as a couple. Before anyone asks, he's just been so busy juggling, running a business basically in a pandemic, which, as so many of you know, is. A nightmare, really. Um, everything changes every day and finding time for us both to record became semi impossible. So we are dividing and conquering and I am solo as our host now. One other piece of good news, though, is that our ultimate vegan chocolate chip cookies, which you might have seen on our social media or on our app, are officially now in the freezers of Tesco and online on waitrose.com, as well as Planet Organic and Whole Foods in the UK. So hopefully yeah, you can try them. Let us know what you think. And our web shop has got so many cool new natural brands up. So we've got our favourite supplements company, up with the supplements that I take, which is B12 vitamin D and a vegan omega-3 um we touched a lot on like creating a balanced vegan diet in another podcast episode so I'll link that in the show notes below if you're interested as to why I take those ones particularly. And then also some gorgeous new face masks from one of my favorite companies, Evolve Beauty, and a couple of other really, really gorgeous, small, brilliant natural beauty brands, Pi and 12. 12 also has the best lip balm you'll ever use. So if you're looking for natural lifestyle, natural beauty, then do head to www.deliciousyellow.com. And otherwise, we're going to get straight into today's episode, which feels very apt for this time of year, for summer, a time when the media can seem to pile a kind of really crazy undue pressure, especially on women, and really enhance any concerns or worries around body image in the way that we look. So today we're looking at fostering a positive sense of body image and actually really understanding what body image actually means and why it's so hard to create that positive sense with a brilliant guest, Nadia Craddock. Nadia is a body image researcher at the Centre for Appearance Research and has been looking at both how to improve body image at an individual level and at reducing harmful societal appearance pressures at a macro level. She's got a Master's in Education from Harvard and is just a voice of unbelievable wisdom on what is such a complicated topic. So welcome Nadia and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, I'm really pleased to be here.
0: So I'd actually love, I guess, just to set the scene to start with this poem which you had on your Instagram page and I hadn't come across it before, but I think it's so poignant, it really resonated with me, and I felt that it was just such a relevant starting point for this conversation, and it's a really brilliant poem called Pretty Is a Lie by Nikita Gill. And it reads, What if I told you the word pretty is a skin deep six-letter prison they put you in? They say, if you lost some weight, you'd be so pretty. They say, if your skin was clearer, you'd be so pretty. But what they really mean is, if only you looked like our mass-produced ideal, you'd be so pretty. Let me tell you a secret they do not want you to know. Nothing about you is pretty, nor will it ever be so. You see, pretty is too small and simple a word to capture the exquisitely complex human phenomenon that you are. Every atom of you was plucked in the quiet cosmic moments between supernovas and stars. A carefully chosen palette of your skin, your eyes, your muscles and bones from sunsets and skies. So when they tell you about how pretty you could be, if only, cut them off and say pretty is nor your worth or value, nor something that you've ever aspired to be and i just absolutely loved that so really appreciate you sharing and um so excited to get into this topic today and i wondered if we could kick off with just a very very broad topic of what is body image how you know when you're researching it how do you define it
1: yeah i think that's a really good question and a good good starting point so we're all on the same page so Definitely from the research perspective, we define body image as how we think and feel about the way our body looks and functions. And in turn, how we behave towards our bodies. So how we treat our bodies. So it's an internal thing. It's a psychological construct. And it's about self-perception. It's about how we evaluate our appearance. But it's also about how we relate to our bodies more broadly and I really like the word relationship when thinking about body image, because I think it helps us move away from thinking about what we actually look like, because changing your body doesn't necessarily change your body image. So it's, it's really that how we think and connect to our bodies and, and our appearance.
0: I think it's really interesting how you just said that changing your body image, like as in changing, say, the weight and the number on a scale doesn't actually necessarily change your body image and how you feel about it. And I guess, you know, it's obviously it's a kind of incredibly complex psychological topic to explore. And I guess going on from that, before we get into kind of more detail, how, how do you define a positive and a negative body image?
1: Yeah, I think this is a good question too. And I think just going back, the idea of changing your body doesn't change your body image really helps us pick apart what these different terms mean. So positive body image, I think is really interesting to get into because I think there's a difference between how we talk and write about positive body image in academic spaces and how it's discussed more broadly. And that's not to say there's a right or wrong, but there certainly is a disconnect, I feel. So I think the common understanding of positive body image is this idea of loving your body, seeing yourself as beautiful or attractive and generally celebrating your appearance. But that's not really how I think about positive body image and nor is it how we talk about positive body image in the academic literature. And I think how we talk about it, how we think about it, how we define it is a lot broader, more nuanced. Uh, more holistic than that. So it's more than just liking your body. It's about feelings of gratitude towards your body. It's about acceptance of your appearance, regardless of how it meets up to any societal beauty standard. It's about respect and trust of your body and feeling connected to your body. So we know that people with positive body image are better able to navigate societal appearance pressures and have a broader conceptualization of beauty so you can see the beauty in lots of different types of appearance and then yeah have that greater sense of connection with their body so feeling really attuned to your body so really able to listen to your body more so which I think is a really important point that we don't talk about as much so then on the flip side negative body image is also more than more than one thing it's commonly thought about in terms of just not liking the way you look. And I think that's that's really valid. I think that's a really good way of thinking about negative body image. You don't like the way you look, and then that's often accompanied by wanting to change your body in some way. Um, But it's also about being obsessive about your appearance, being very preoccupied about your appearance, really worrying about how you look and how you're perceived.
0: I've got so many points I want to pick up from there. But one thing that I've Found very interesting in the kind of conversations that exist around this space is the idea that actually it's quite hard to celebrate body image in some ways. Like, and I wonder, you know, is there anyone out there who absolutely loves and celebrates every single millimetre of their body? And sometimes I feel like there's so much conversation now around loving every part of your body you know I'm pregnant at the moment for the second Mm -hmm. time and I know like lots of pregnancy things I read talk about celebrating every stretch mark and and I love the concept but it still for me brings so much focus back to the physical Mm -hmm. and I guess so much kind of headspace and attention to the physical and of working really hard on celebrating the physical instead of just the physical being the physical and it being there and being accepting of it but then trying to focus on our other attributes and other attributes in each other and in society and be less hung up on image as a whole and I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about that because sometimes I feel like there's so much attention and so much conversation about body image positive and negative but somehow it a, can seem somehow vaguely unrealistic to love absolutely every part of yourself, you know, you might prefer your hair if it's curly or if it's straight, you know, and the, and does that really matter if, if you don't love every part? But also, should we not just try and shift the conversation to some extent away from the physical?
1: I think it's, it's a really interesting concept and thoughts to like get really stuck into. The idea of really celebrating and loving every inch of your body and your appearance kind of refers back to what I was talking about with that disconnect in terms of how positive body image is popularly thought about and then how we understand it from the academic standpoint because that's not how I understand positive body image and I think there's a conflation between the body positivity movement which is a social justice movement and this idea of positive body image which is psychological construct it's how we internalize and relate to our own bodies in a positive way so I think that's maybe something to start unpicking a little bit so I think on an individual level I think it can be really helpful for many people to take away that focus away from our appearance as you were saying and focus on our personal qualities attributes values I mean it sounds very freeing even just saying it out loud and I do know there's a lot of people that struggle with this now like it feels and people talk about this, like, dual tension of this pressure to have this ideal perfect body and meet societal beauty standards or appearance standards, and then at the same time to be really happy with how you look, regardless of how you meet up to those standards. And and that can be difficult to navigate for some people. It can feel a lot of pressure. And it's a lot. Like, I, I completely get that. But in terms of whether we should talk about it at all, I think we need to think about what our starting point is. And I think we live in a society where many, many bodies are not accepted and moreover are victimized because of their appearance. There are negative appearance stereotypes, are treated badly, are discriminated against because of their appearance. And I think that's why we need to keep talking about body image, especially when we are coming from and living in more privileged bodies to fight against that. That. So I think many people in the body positivity movement, especially from those with the, with the core intention of that movement, is they're speaking about bodies and really fighting for acceptance of their bodies when society doesn't accept them. So that's people maybe in higher weight bodies, disabled bodies, people of colour, people in trans bodies, that kind of thing. And I think that's why it's there still needs to be a conversation because I know this, this is where it comes up in terms of like, do we need to keep talking about this? But for some in particular, like we absolutely do. And I think it can be an oversight to think that we should just not talk about it at all. I don't think I need to be talking about my body all the time because I. it's easy for me to operate in the world in my body, particularly when we're talking about size Right. I can go into a store and pick up something that I know will fit me. I can I can move about the world and know that I'm not going to have unsolicited advice about my weight. It's that kind of thing. Um, do I have an ideal body? No. Like I think, you know, like that, but that's not it. So that's where there's there's difference and where we need to kind of think a bit more critically about how how we have these conversations and and kind of pass all of these different things out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like we need to bring a hell of a lot more perspective on, on what, as you said, actually really matters in terms of creating equality and acceptance mm-hmm. rather than getting hung up on the silly little things. And and actually one of the things that, that really kind of sparked my questioning on that was, as you said, it's actually incredibly important. And I, I really appreciate how you said that. I think it's incredibly important. And I think that that perspective of kind of equality in, in our bodies is is so, so, so important. But w- one question I have for you, and I don't know how often this has come up in your research, but I think it's very interesting is that, you know, this conversation seems to exist more often than not between women mm-hmm. and often has a female voice. And what I find so fascinating is that, as you said, you know, you said, do I have an ideal body? And it kind of really struck me. And I was like, but what even is that? Because even if we take what wrongly is possibly an ideal body, which is a kind of, you know, Hollywood A-list celeb, we still, in all our women's magazines, take pictures of them on the beach and put circles around their cellulite. Mm -hmm. even when they have a quote unquote, perfect body. And it's just, I find that quite fascinating how we can't, it's almost like we can't even accept anything anymore. And that we have this need to constantly, we say, you know, let's, let's create, you know, positive conversation around it. But then at the same time, it feels like there's just this kind of ongoing conversation of tearing everyone down, even when, you know, they are performing to what you know, is wrongly society's standards too often of the time, but that it's so often women consuming that content.
1: And I would say that we're socialized to do so, right? Like that content is everywhere. It's difficult to escape. I think from a very young age, people, young children know what that perfect ideal body is, I think we can all shut our eyes and have that idea in our heads because it's imprinted, again, from a very young age to look a certain way. And I think that's where when we're talking about what causes negative body image or body image concerns, why media, advertising, corporate enterprise has such a big role to play and has so much responsibility there, because what we're showing is that there really is just like these very narrow often unrealistic for most people ideals and there are gendered ideals and so for women there is this very specific ideal of of like thinness but also femininity so to be thin but also to have big breasts and to have smooth skin and like there's ideals around skin color as as well and I think there's and we have ideals for men too so that like very muscular but lean aesthetic like men need to be tall, you know, to fit and conform to those societal appearance standards. So they are, like, certainly out there. And I think that's why viewing diverse appearance is so powerful, because I think it starts disrupting those ideals. Because I think when those ideals are so narrow, what happens, how we get from that to negative body image is through a couple of processes. So there's the idea of internalisation, so buying into these ideals, so buying into the belief that looking... And conforming to these ideals is what you should do and what will make you happy and popular and successful. And then also this like process of comparison. So looking at these images and then making those upward appearance comparisons. So like are you as you know as pretty, as thin, as perfect looking in that kind of way? And I think what you're saying in terms of how then you get the the critique on women, even if they do quote unquote conform to that perfect look is really something that feels very toxic and kind of sinister in that idea that it's like kind of pushing women more so, but pushing people to constantly be striving to achieve something. So it's almost not the end goal of having this perfect look, but it's like constantly working towards this perfect look all the time. And I think that's yeah, just something, again, to be really mindful and critical of when we're consuming that kind of media and that kind of messaging
0: as well. Absolutely. We had a very interesting conversation on the podcast last week with a, a psychologist on um, perfectionism. And there's a lot that resonates in what you were just saying there of this hamster wheel effectively, where, you know, you just drive yourself insane trying to meet ridiculous standards, which we shouldn't even have in the first place. And they're yeah. also, as we've seen are actually technically impossible to meet anyway. Right. But how did these body image views and this way of society, of trying to pigeonhole seven billion people into kind of two idealised forms. You know, where where did that come from? When did we become so narrow-minded and so judgmental and so unaccepting? And how do we change that? I mean, that is probably the billion dollar question mm-hmm. that you're spending your career looking at, but just as a as a starting point.
1: Yeah, in terms of how we got there, I think it's a really complex topic. And I bet there are people out there who could write essays on this and be a lot more articulate than I can. But I think that there have always been ideals of beauty. I think, you know, you can look through history and that there are different ideals. I think now what makes it all feel a lot more pronounced is that we have the media, we have advertising, we have capitalism, like, you know, we have all of these things that then make it so much more in your face. So like the globalization of, of media. So if we think about, these ideals, we export these ideals to all around the world. And Susie Ulbach talks about this in a in a really great way in terms of how we export ideals from the UK, from the US to Asia, to Africa, to the Middle East, to, to all of these countries. So that's why we have this huge market of skin lightening, for example, because we're saying whiteness is what it means to be beautiful. So there's there's all of these different facets to where these appearance ideals come from but I also think then we you know we have advertising and you're selling this idea of aspiration and something that's slightly out of reach so then you are you have to keep striving so I think that's how we've kind of got there and you see the fluidity of of these ideals as well like the ideal for women today is slightly different to what it was 20 years ago like we talk about the the 90s and noughties of like the heroin chic era and now we have that more instagram kim kardashian look so Ideals are fluid, but there's also, I always think there's something behind that. You know, there's something behind why we're just looking at one particular ideal as opposed to seeing the beauty in many different types of bodies. So then your follow up question was, how, what do we do to change that? And again, and again, there are many answers to that, and I don't feel like I have the full answer to it, certainly. But I think what is very encouraging now and in recent years is seeing greater diversity and I think that's really come from social media where there is you you can put yourself forward on social media whatever type of body you have democratization of bodies I think is is a term that you've used and I I quite like sometimes from when you think about how social media has kind of pushed brands and the corporate world to think of including more types of bodies in their ad campaigns and movies etc tv So I think that's one way I think thinking and teaching media literacy is something else that's really powerful. So part of the work that I do at the center for appearance research is really looking at designing and evaluating evidence-based body image curriculum. And often a core component of that is critical media literacy. So being able to, when you're consuming media to identify like what's real and what's not and what what's the purpose of this media? Are people trying to sell me something? Do I need to buy something to achieve this ideal? And like, then who's profiting from this idea? Is it me? Or is it the corporation? And like, you know, the kind of the idea of like diets don't work, but yet we still as a society just buy into it so much. But then, you know, we look at this like billion dollar industry that's Really built off of a huge failure rate. Like, if diets work, we wouldn't need them, you know. Like, it's just thinking about that. So, critical media literacy is, is a really important thing. Seeing diverse images is a really important thing. And then I think understanding some of these bigger systemic issues that lead to people feeling like they are not worthy in their body. So, things like Phobia, things like racism, like colorism, like ableism, I think are really important to start bringing into these conversations because I think it helps us paint a picture of why people are treated in a certain way and then why in turn people respond in a certain way. So I think we can see the promotion of these ideals but also seeing how different types of bodies are stereotyped often in a negative way and then thinking like how do we push back against that. So It's not an exclusive list, but just some things to start thinking about in terms of how we create change in terms of how we all start thinking and feeling about the way we look.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just on a kind of completely almost ridiculous level, when you start to really think about it, and obviously that that's what your work does, the idea that we'd even expect, you know, seven billion people to look the same in the first place is just so ridiculous. It's like mm-hmm. expecting seven billion people to have the same personality or like the same foods or like want the same thing for dinner tonight. You know, of course they don't. Yeah. But one thing I thought was really interesting there, because it's a topic I'm very interested in, but social media Mm-hmm. It, it often gets such a bad rap, and I, I don't get me wrong. I think there are some some real negatives to it, but I thought it was interesting how you picked up on how actually, for example, in this conversation, it can actually play a really positive role if you play a kind of active role in diversifying your feed and you know looking for for new things. And as you said, it there's a democratization that can happen there because everyone can have a platform and mm-hmm. everyone can share. And I, I'd love to hear more how you feel about the role of social media in this conversation, because the ability that we have now to compare ourselves to, you know, Victoria's Secret models mm-hmm. on an hour by hour basis, I can only imagine could have a negative impact. You know, I know for me, as I said, I'm, I'm pregnant and I had a baby mm-hmm. last year as well. And I'm, you know, I know I've been on and see people who've had a baby and six weeks later they're like in a tiny bikini and you know I was still wearing like adult nappies at that point (laughs) and so you know it doesn't always make you feel the best about yourself and so I think we've all had those experiences of a negative comparison in there which Mm. isn't positive our body image but as you said that there can be positives as well.
1: Yeah so I mean I think you hit the nail on the head
0: when you said about the
1: comparison piece again it's part of the human condition to compare I think it's something that we can't you can't beat yourself up too much for for making those comparisons it's something that we it's kind of an almost innate to do but I think social media again can be that point and when, when we look at the research in terms of time spent on social media and then body image outcomes we typically see that correlational relationship more time spent on social media worse body image and the mechanism in between there is is typically that appearance comparison piece so if you're consuming appearance based media and you're comparing yourself to that media, that's where you start feeling not so great. And I think that is quite intuitive to, to rationalise. But again, it's one of those things that we all do. So I think it really depends on what it is you're following. But I would also say, I think social media, it's it's nuanced. Your relationship with social media depends on who you're following and why you're following certain people and, and how you interpret what you're following. And how you feel before you open the app, right? Like I know if I'm not feeling great in myself, like opening Instagram is probably not the best thing for me to be doing at that point. You kind of know that for yourself. But I also think even if you're following really positive content, I also would be hesitant to say that's the only thing you should do to improve your body image, right? Like I think there are so many other things and I think there's still that disconnect when you're on an app, when you're on your phone. And actually, if you're thinking about really building a a healthy relationship with your body, I think it's like, how do you feel in your body, how you connect to your body? So that's why movement can be really powerful. It's why, you know, just working out ways to feel more connected with your body is, is powerful. And I think so social media can't always be the answer to everything. And I think we can fall into a trap sometimes because I think we all want shortcuts to things. So I think sometimes when it's like, oh, how do we feel better about our bodies? Let's just follow diverse social media accounts. And I think that's great. I don't, you know, I think it's a, it's a great thing to do and I'd encourage everyone to do that. But I, it's also not the only thing that I would recommend doing. Um, and I'd also be hesitant to, say that you should be on your phone for long periods of time because I don't think that that's going to be conducive to feeling really good about your body or good in your body maybe even a better way of thinking about it.
0: I really like what you said as well about your mindset when you when you go onto these these platforms or you know anything you're kind of consuming online or, or just even just walking down the street and actually so much of it comes from an internal conversation and creating that self-esteem and that self-worth and that Mm -hmm. self-confidence to have the freedom to exist in ourselves and as you said you know there's there's a lot of much more complicated issues that runs through this that doesn't make it easy for people we need to be really aware of that and really aware of privilege when we have it in that sense but I I really thought that was interesting but I guess easier said than done
1: oh yeah absolutely and I think that again comes back to this idea of the world in which we're living in, right? Like the pressure to look a certain way is, is everywhere. It's really hard to kind of switch off from that, which is, again, why when we're thinking about how do we resist all of those appearance pressures, I think it's it's something that has to be proactive. It's something that has to be a practice rather than something that can be one and done. I think it's something that you have to like continually work on because you're fighting against the zeitgeist right? you're fighting against all of this like appearance pressure so you have to keep at it and think about different ways to reconnect with yourself and reconnect with your own body and establish that sense of acceptance with your body I think that's it's something that needs to be yeah, a, a continual practice because we at, at the moment are living in a society where that's not encouraged
0: you know, when you're looking at the stats, and I'm, I'm sure it's something that is, you know, not that easy to measure, but but what is the prevalence of negative body image? And again, I'm sure it comes on a sliding scale, but what kind of statistics do you see?
1: Yeah, I'm, it's, a, it's a good question. And you kind of alluded to it by saying it's not very easy to measure. And I think the problem with understanding prevalence rates of body image concerns or negative body image is that lots of people do try and measure that, but they use different tools to to do so so they ask different questions so then it's you can't always make a direct comparison the other thing I'd say to caveat any answer I, I will continue to give is that a lot of the research is predominantly focused on adolescents and young women so we know less about body image in older populations in men for example in people who do not conform to a binary gender who who are not white right who do not live in high-income English speaking countries, we know less about the body image of people in all of these domains. But I think what we can be confident at, and I think what's important, is that body image concerns are not um, that they are per- pervasive. And I think this dates back, it's there's a really interesting paper from the 1980s, which described body image concerns among women as, as normative discontent, to really highlight the commonplace of these concerns. Again, it's hard to put a number on it, but we see anything, especially among adolescents, between forty to sixty percent of adolescents not liking the way they look in some way. And again, as you you mentioned, like this can be on a sliding scale, right? So then we look at who's most at risk of really struggling then with their with their
0: body image concerns. So Nadia, one of the things that I found incredibly confusing, and as you said, it's hard with the data because it's it's very very focused on one specific group of people, but this. This idea of age—that like suddenly you'd stop being an adolescent and you'd have positive body image because all the st- so many of the studies are focused on adolescence. I mean, it's not like you get to eighteen and everything changes, is it? Yeah, that's a, it's um it's a good thing to think about. I think I can see how
1: there's that perception because the focus is so heavily weighted on adolescence and the concern around negative body image or body image concerns is. is almost exclusively focused on, on adolescence. But sure, it's not like we, we graduate from body image concerns the minute we turn 18 and then move on with our lives. And I think what's probably useful to think about in terms of body image through our like development trajectories is at points of change. So... The reason adolescence is a crucial area is because of puberty. So puberty and like your, your body changes and how you respond to your your body. And then you're also very vulnerable to what other people think about you when you're you're a teenager. So that's why it can be a catalyst for developing and experiencing body image concerns. But we also see other kind of touch points throughout life. So you mentioned that you're pregnant. So again, that can be a cause for anxiety for some people. So it could be, you know, because again, your body is changing and might be different to how it was before and that can be unsettling some people though really start relating to to their body in a different way in a, in a much more positive way through pregnancy so again it's, it's nuanced it's not there's no really hard and fast to this but I think what's again interesting when we think about body image across across the lifespan is that yeah we do see negative body image that kind of can tick away all the way through and then I, I guess we're thinking about you as you age as we age we move away from that ideal because the ideal is, is has a huge facet around youthfulness and and youth. So, you know, as you age, your skin becomes lined and your body changes in all the, all of these different ways. But what we typically see is a pattern of that, that body dissatisfaction piece might might stay fairly stable but we might see greater body appreciation. So maybe more gratitude for what your body can do and maybe thinking about your body in a slightly different way so you're not so centred on your appearance. So it's complicated. We don't know as much about body image across the lifespan, but I think when there's points of change, I think that's, that's sort of a risk factor for feeling not so great about your body. But then I think generally as people age, I think their relationship with their body changes because you're thinking about your body
0: in different ways. So that's kind of what we what we see, I think. Yeah, it's almost like you're kind of let out of that prison of of youth and everyone kind of obsessing about that young look, and so you can be free. It's interesting what you said about pregnancy. It's it's a kind of completely fascinating one because mm-hmm. I think nothing could ever give me a greater appreciation of the physical strength of the body and yeah. what it's able to do. And like literally after I'd just given birth, I just could not believe that my body had done that and I had grown a person and it yeah. had managed to push that person out I mean it was just for me and I, I was lucky with my birth but I found it an incredibly empowering experience because it showed me a strength that I didn't realize I necessarily even had and and that was a really amazing thing but then equally you know it's strange when you know you can't fit into any of your clothes and the way you're used to kind of presenting yourself you can't mm-hmm. because nothing fits and and it changes every day and I thought it was, you know, you talked earlier about kind of exercise and yoga and things as ways of Mm -hmm. connecting to your body and the importance of that. And I've never found that to be more true than during pregnancy. Yoga particularly has been a really important practice for kind of coming back and like checking in and appreciating and Mm -hmm. feeling grateful for the physical strength rather than anything else. But one of the questions I had for you as Mm -hmm. well, because I've heard you talking about it before, and I, I really found it very, very interesting, was on the negative impacts of poor body image. Because I think, you know, off the top of your head, you'd think anxiety, mental health. But actually, you know, I've heard you talk really interestingly about, for example, like performance in schools. It's actually, you know, the, the issue is, again, it's much more nuanced, but also much wider spectrum of consequences than I, I probably completely appreciated.
1: Right. It's it's more far reaching, for sure. So, And I think it's it's interesting in thinking about the consequences of body image especially through that gendered lens and it being like oh you know it doesn't really matter all women don't like the way they look like big deal so what and um and I wonder if if we thought about and and maybe because of that mental health lens as well that it's like oh you know kind of doesn't really matter in the same way but what we find from the research and we've got really good evidence of this now is poor body image negative body image predicts all of those mental health things that you mentioned so we've got the eating disorders and the whole spectrum of eating disorders as well, and disordered eating. So again, eating thinking about eating disorders on that spectrum. Then things like anxiety, low self-esteem, poor confidence, depressive symptoms. So we have we have all of those. We also know, and I think this is something that that gets overlooked a bit in terms of how we engage in healthy behaviors. Typically when people have poor body image, they are less likely to engage in things that will to look after their body. So we see people with poor body image, particularly adolescents, are more likely to engage in risky behaviours. So less likely to, for example, use sun, sun cream when they're going out in the sun. Less likely to go to the doctor to get smear tests, that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of related to maybe different things going on for different contexts, but the smear test, it's what... Makes sense to me is that it's about body shame and feeling, you know, embarrassed and not, not wanting to go. But I think the health behaviors is really interesting because I, I think there's this perception that it's like if you hate your body, you can hate your body into a better body. But we don't see the evidence of that. And we see that actually it's the reverse. So we see that people with a negative body image are less likely to eat five fruit and vegetables a day. They're less likely to have a healthy relationship to exercise and movement. So I think that's, that's really important to start thinking. Thinking about less likely to engage in in things like intuitive eating. And then to, to your point about thinking about beyond mental health, physical health, even is how negative body image compromises and impairs other aspects of your life. So it influences how you show up in the world, how you engage with others. And I think it's like how all of these in, interact as well. So if, if you've got negative body image and then low self-esteem that comes as a consequence to that, how are you going to show up in the classroom? How are you going to put your hand up in class? How are you going to present at that job interview? And I think we really want to start digging into that research more to see actually what are all the ways, what's the cost on society even on having so many people affected by negative body image. So Yeah, it really is. You've got the health outcomes, but also you have the life outcomes too, which I think are really important and and not spoken about as much.
0: One thing you mentioned there was um, intuitive eating, and it it is something that we have touched on the podcast before. And I wondered if you could share a bit more on on your thoughts on that and whether you feel like it's a helpful concept when it comes to our body image
1: probably to caveat this answer, I'm not an expert on intuitive eating, but I think just if we think about it in terms of like a, a freer relationship to food, I think we know very clearly that dieting and restricting our intake, our food intake is a predictive factor for negative body image. And equally negative body image impacts how we relate to food. And that can be in terms of Overeating, undereating—it's kind of the, the disordered spectrum of eating. So, the two can go hand in hand. I know within the the ten principles of intuitive eating, having that better relationship with your body is a is an important piece within those ten principles. And I think probably the practice of it maybe might help you think about your body in a different in a different way because I think it's centered on feeling very connected and in tune to your body and what your body wants and needs. And feel satisfied, and I think because it's got that gentle focus, I think it can help build things like body acceptance, body trust, the self care element for your with, with your body. And I think there's there's a correlational relationship between the between the two. I think people are trying to start working out, you know, how how does these things work together? But we definitely see that pattern
0: with people who have got a better body image have a, that better relationship with food. I've got about a hundred more questions. I could keep you here for years, but I I promise I won't. I've got two final questions before Mm -hmm. a wrap-up question. The first is, you know, and I'm probably just becoming increasingly aware of this, both obviously as, you know, my role in Delicious Yellow and and talking Mm -hmm. to a wide number of people, you know, especially our audience is almost all female, but also as a mum now of a daughter and another daughter-to-be, of, you know, the kind of childhood settings of this and, and that sense of self-worth. And, and I don't know if it's anything that, you know, you've come across or, or any, anything interesting that you've you've read or, or researched in this area of how we kind of start to facilitate that positive sense, you know, because I can only imagine if, that, if you start with that early in your life, it has very positive impacts going forward. And, and whether there's anything there in, in kind of changing childhood settings in some way to create that belief in yourself in your body in your worth
1: yeah I think it's a really important question I think that there are a couple of things that immediately spring to mind and I think it's really about creating a culture of acceptance and referring back to the idea of what we were talking we were talking about earlier in terms of diversifying our social media feeds that kind of thing but we can do that with the content that we present to children right we can look at the books that we're giving the movies that we're showing the tv programs whatever whatever content we're giving our kids to consume and to put on you know i don't have kids but you know just thinking about this conceptually it's like actually if we show and promote acceptance on in that way and that lots of different types of people can be protagonists in their own story and because I think we we have these like very singular narratives. We have these stereotypes that we see in children's books, in in Disney, for example. Like look at help look at all the Disney princesses, and so actually let's see if we can disrupt that from a very young age, because you know children are like sponges. So I think again it's like kind of like laying the foundations of acceptance of lots of different types of appearance and not feeding in those stereotypes that then become so difficult to unlearn as we get older we're just trying to like unpack and unlearn and and switch at an older age it's it's a lot more intuitive for a young person a, a child to to absorb and then you've got a good a good foundation and I think the other thing to think about is again thinking that children are sponges is how we are behaving and talking about our own bodies in front of in front of very young people because again the Even if you're not saying to your child that you think that they need to lose weight or that they're, you know, like saying something that sounds very obvious and detrimental by parents or or adults or influential people around children saying negative things about their own bodies or talking about dieting or, or trying to kind of always change their body in some way, always having that kind of negative relationship, children absorb that and and it becomes like a, a learned behavior in terms of, oh, this is how I need to be an adult by dieting or by being very obsessive about my body size. And this is something that is valuable. So I think, you know, there are those kind of things in terms of modeling and what we say in front of young people. And I think I know a lot of parents feel a lot of pressure to, Not pass on body image concerns so that they might have their own hang ups and not want to pass those on. And I think it's so hard to have a positive body image or a healthy body image in our society as we keep talking about. So it's just thinking about how do you rein in what you're saying and doing in front of children and very young people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so this is my, my final question, I mm-hmm. promise. I, and again, it's something that you raised and something else I was listening to. And I, I thought it was very interesting, which is about body image as a feminist issue. And um, mm-hmm. I wanted if you could tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I think,
0: and as, as we've been saying about the
1: pressure from society seems to be so focused on women, I think it's not exclusively on women. So I think we need to be mindful of that. But even when we're thinking and conceptualizing body image and how people relate and feel about their bodies, feminist theory helps us understand that. So things like objectification theory are are really useful. And it's, it's this idea of women being treated as objects, and being seen through the male gaze. And in response to that experience of objectification, and that might be viewing very sexualized images of women, it might be being catcalled on the street, it, might be like kind of those low level comments in the office, the kind of sexual harassment type comments, those are all of those experiences of sexual objectification. Then, what happens as a consequence is that women start to objectify themselves and start seeing themselves from that external gaze, from that male gaze, as objects of desire rather than active agents. And then that cascades to things like body shame and disordered eating depression, depressive mood. So that's kind of how the theory operates. And I think it's it's a really useful way of, of thinking about, again, how we're showing up in the world and kind of going back to this idea of advertising and corporations and capitalism, influencing how we think about our bodies. I think, you know, who are or who historically at least have been the directors, the CEOs, and how women are being presented. So just thinking about how then we we show women in different ways and, and just having a more varied way of representing women, like women are not just sexual objects, that like we're not just there to be looked at. So having, you know, just thinking about women in, in more dynamic ways and as active participants in society in the same way men are. And I think, again, we need to kind of broaden out and thinking about people of all genders as well. But I think that can be another kind of layer in terms of understanding how we think about body image and and why women typically are disproportionately affected by body image concerns in comparison to men.
0: Yeah, it's it's so well put, and I I think you know to wrap up, I I love what you said about about being an active agent in you know making a change and and the importance again going back to what we were saying earlier. Of, building our own self-confidence and our own self-worth to make the job of having positive body image in a society that doesn't make it that easy, that bit easier. And I wondered to finish whether you could give us a a final thought, you know, both as individuals and members of society as a whole, you know, what's the one thing you'd say, you know, be mindful of, think about in order to make a change both in how we feel in ourselves, but also how do we make it an easier place for absolutely everybody to exist.
1: Oh wow, big last question. <laughs> so I think it's being very aware of the systemic body based depression, so un- really understanding fat phobia, really understanding things like racism, colorism because I think these ableism, transphobia, etc because I think until we live in a society where people of all bodies are at least accepted in society, we're never going to get a, to a point where we all can feel at peace in our bodies. So I think, and you know, I, I can speak from my own experience, for me, understanding weight stigma has really helped me understand how I think about my own weight, for example. So I think it's 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 having that much broader picture of how society treats bodies and then pushing back against that in a much bigger way. And thinking about this as a much bigger issue than just you. This is a society societal issue that then has an impact on you and I think being able to see it from that lens can then be helpful in terms of pushing back against it because otherwise it just feels like this complete uphill battle and and actually that you're the problem and it's you're absolutely not the problem your body is not the problem it's the society in which we live that's the problem and I think once you can kind of move from putting yourself as a problem to seeing society as a problem, I think that becomes a lot easier. And then from seeing all of these different types of body-based depressions, again, helps you see what all of these problems are over and beyond just these societal beauty ideals that get perpetuated and promoted through industry.
0: Yeah, so perspective is key. And are there any resources you'd recommend for furthering that learning for everyone?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's again, this is where social media can come in. There's lots of people doing great education on social media. There's an account when we're talking about weight stigma, for example. There's an account called Your Fat Friend. I think it's like YR instead of your spelled out, which is which is a really useful resource. But yeah, let me send you a list off the top of my head. There's so many it
0: becomes overwhelming to think, think which of the no, which no. is the best ones to pick out. Perfect. Well, I'll put all those details and obviously Nadia's details as well in the show notes below for everyone, because I have a feeling that you will have in the best way possible opened a can of worms on how much learning there is here, both on perspective, you know, in our own privilege and, and looking at the issue as a kind of wider thing. and everything in between. So Nadia, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating. I, you know, don't like to do favouritism, but it definitely has been one of my favourite episodes of the podcast so far. So really, really, really appreciate your time and um, have a lovely, lovely day, everyone. Um, If you have enjoyed the episode, please do share it, review it, it, makes all the difference. And Nadia, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.